acceptable to you, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Now, I, I really have to admit uh, today, I wasn't a lot of fun preparing for this. Uh, it may not be any easier now. Uh, first, going through uh, a preaching boot camp with Pastor Anders. Um, that was fun. Uh, and now today, finally preaching it. There are some of you out there who, of a certain age who can remember the lovely time of you had during boot camp, the enjoyable uh, talks from the lovely drill sergeant, and the lovely walks in the rain full of packs. Let's just say that for my mind, there is, in this comforting sanctuary, with D.S. Sanders right there, it was almost as much fun as that. <laughs> almost. And though that boot camp uh, may have been a bit rough, some of Jesus' teachings tell us, uh, teachings to us were also tough and disturbing. As we as a church, or personally, are not always ready to meet the power of that word. I know I certainly wasn't prepared for it. And after looking at several other verses that I contemplated for this sermon, uh, they didn't seem to fit. Uh, I needed to be doing what I was being called to do, and I wasn't sure what that was. So I kept looking at the verses, a lot of verses, and finally Luke was there. Now when I sat down to ponder Luke's version of the Beatitudes several weeks ago, two days after my 68th birthday, in fact, and four days after my 41st wedding anniversary, uh, to she who must be obeyed, that's what we call her, <laughs> um, I was sitting in my cold little room in the corner in an industrial park in good old Ferndale, Kind of like starting a story of Cinderella, isn't it? Um, but too many pages. But I had just walked or just talked to a new member of my home church whose father at, was at the time in dire straits and had been placed in hospice. Almost immediately after that, I'd had another conversation with another church member who had been approached by someone also in terrible straits. Now, I'm going to digress here just a little bit um, to talk about Big John, as I called him. Um, I knew John for 14 years. He was in hospice when I saw, last saw him. John was a gentle soul, choir member, church attendee, faithfully. About 14 years ago, John had been in a terrible accident and was horribly injured along with his wife and his daughter. He had recovered, as has his wife and his daughter. However, it left him in a position that the repairs needed repairs that needed repairs that needed repairs. And several weeks ago now, it came to a point where John could no longer recover from surgery. And his doctors came to him and told him that he would die within two to three weeks. I don't know if I could take it like John took it. John accepted it because he knew his end goal was God. And he was prepared right then to meet his maker. Now, he'd been married for 70 years when he was told this. 
and uh, his wife was there when they told him. My wife and I and several other church members, when they settled into hospitals, were delivering food, and we had not intended to meet John um, because he was in bed and wasn't able to get up. And However, John had a different idea. John wanted to talk and meet with us, knowing that we were both in the ministry, both Stephen ministers, knowing what I was going through. So he specifically told his, his daughters that, uh, and nurse that he wanted to get dressed, and he did. He got dressed in his dress pants, his white shirt, a tie, got himself in a chair wrapped in a blanket, and we talked to him for about 15 minutes. He asked us for a prayer and a blessing, and we did that for him, and then we left. Now, after that, I, I continued to think about this service and the scenarios that I was facing, the two scenarios. And I knew that the moisture in the air was making these pages stick together. With these individuals' mind and all that, that, that I had to do, I reread the message from Luke. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But for me, this is a different type of poor than Jesus was talking about. I had been thinking of poor as a person like John, deserving of pity or sympathy, or someone we feel may be unfortunate or just unlucky. Maybe he's just unhappy, ill-fated, or like John, or facing death. But I was looking at Luke. There are differences in the sermons. The one on the plane, which I was given to believe, is to show Jesus on a level plane with us. And one from the mount, which shows him from on high. Royal, as in God. Now, it contains many of the teachings of Matthew showing him from many wonderful aspects. However, there are disparities. Different settings, shorter version than the Sermon on the Mount. It also excludes several key components of, the, of Matthew's version, such as prophecy and Jewish law. However, Luke also has included the Beatitudes. Loving your enemies, judging others, the tree and its fruit, the building of your house on a firm foundation, the rock of Jesus. I believe this is the message of Luke that we need to hear, that we must listen to the blessings he's given us, and then just as importantly, the woes, to grasp what we are being asked by Luke to understand. It, showed, it should be noted, of course, that blessed are you that are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, goes without saying, and also that this is a blessing that only a poor person can give to another poor person. Jesus qualified. It has been reiterated to me over and over and over again that Jesus, in fact, was a homeless rabbi. He was very poor, relying on others for many things, food, clothing, money, shelter, 
as he taught his message. For most wealthy persons or those who are reasonably well-off, middle-class, living-wage people, their first instinct is always to help that person out of poverty as possible. In fact, we as a community and personally are scared of poverty. And while this instinct is not wrong, Jesus' approach is different. We never see him crusade against poverty, which is really quite surprising when you think about it now, isn't it? Jesus did not teach people how to become rich or get back on their feet or pull themselves up by their bootstraps. A lot of us have been known to say that kind of thing to people. I also can find no place in the Bible where Jesus says that. And though others may be in a position to tell me I'm wrong, to my knowledge, there is not a single passage in the Bible where Jesus is even slightly uncomfortable in the presence of a poor person. Very likely it was become being poor was so common back then. Blessed are you who are poor, he said. He didn't say, too bad you're poor. I feel so bad, so sorry for you. Now let me help you. He didn't say that. No, he did not. But what he did do was a far greater thing than that. He said, Yours is the kingdom of God, and that's where Jesus starts his message. Without any, I will make you better program in mind. But it is there. So I think we have to ask ourselves, what and when was the last time we met a visibly poor person thinking that that person is blessed? Has there ever been such a time? None whatsoever that I can recall. Have you ever honestly had such a thing happen? And if I tried even this morning, I couldn't think about it that way. The, reaction, the reason is that we all, for the most part, much prefer to be fixers and problem solvers in hopes that we are not placed in a position of being poor. Think about that poor in your daily life. Aren't we all trying to be fixers? Or we do, do we just walk away? and say, well, that's not my problem. There's so many who are in a position of, of positions of wealth and power and just do that very same thing. Those who could affect real change. The majority of the people in this world are poor. We as a church are poor. And as such, we're in the majority. It affects what we will do as a church and also as a community to affect real changes. The real changes, however, can only come if we continue to act as a community of God. It should be emphasized that you, being a fixer, is not a bad thing. For any number of reasons, it's a good thing. That we want to help others is the best of things. In the church and others, we nurture human instinct for compassion. We give people opportunities to serve the church and in the community. We as a church have opportunities to give in many ways, and we have the chance to make this world a little bit better place. But we have to try. This is a God-ordained task and hugely important. But interestingly, if we read further, it's not where Jesus really begins. He starts by telling the poor person, you are blessed, you are honored, you are happy. 
You can see this from whichever Bible translation you choose. It's hard lesson for us to learn, however. Also, God gives us the grace to see that we have in our brothers and sisters and those that are struggling the need that they need more than whatever meets our eye. And in fact, if this is the heart of Jesus' message, and the Beatitudes are certainly not a fringe teaching of Jesus, and I know I still have a lot to learn myself, a whole lot to learn, in the way I look at the world and see people, I think very few people are really fully able to understand this Jesus of the Beatitudes. I also believe that nobody understands Jesus' words fully until they understand the reality of poverty. St. Francis, I believe, knew. He knew exactly what Jesus meant. Mother Teresa, I believe, did as well, though she did have her doubts, as she later wrote. However, her work for the poor still continues today. These saints of God and others have done one thing in common. They loved the poor unconditionally, and they were not afraid to be in touch with them or to touch them. They believe we are all on the same level, just as in the Sermon on the Plain, that we are neighbors and friends. I had thought initially today I'd talk about hospice, and I told you about Big John and the ministry helping others after learning about John's issues, and now his recent joining of the Church Triumphant. But I had to remind myself of Greenfield's mission and the hope it instills in others, and how it might meld for us today as it did for the people for whom Luke wrote and dedicated his book. Luke, you see, is the only gospel in the New Testament addressed to an actual person. In the introduction, he dedicates it to his friend Theopolis, a lover of God, a Christian, and probably, probably, probably a Roman. Luke dedicated both this gospel, Luke 1, 3, and the Acts, Apostles 1, 3, to Theopolis. Nothing beyond this is really known of Theopolis, aside from the fact that Luke applies to him the title, Most Excellent. The same title Paul uses to direct Felix in Acts 22, 23, and Festus in 26, 25. It has been concluded then by scholars that Theopolis was a person of rank and most likely a Roman officer. Should one wonder then if Theopolis spilled his drink when he came across the second part of Luke's Beatitudes where Jesus says in Luke 6, 24, 26, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. And woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you who all, when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Well, holy shnikes, Batman, this is the one New Testament passage we don't like to talk about much at all. We definitely don't print these words on posters or banners like we have here or hang them up in the church. And why not? It's because they make us feel totally uncomfortable. When we think of all the things mentioned here, the eating, the having enough money, the laughing, and having people talk well about us, well, that may not be so bad. Only 
it may not only not be bad, but it may be excellent and a beautiful thing. I actually think that having someone speak nice about you is a good thing and should be accepted as just that, a beautiful thing. However, this passage in Luke is all about the truly significant difference between the plight of the majority of the world and the overflowing resources of the rich that are being chastised here. This economic divide does not reflect the vision of the kingdom of God that Jesus has preached, taught, breathed, fought for, and then he died for. In a way, Jesus is teaching the, in this Lucan Beatitude is just this. We who are comfortable and maybe even a little rich are the ones who need to get back on our feet. We are the ones whom God has given much and much is expected of us. We are the ones who have the most leverage to make just this work. God in a God-pleasing world. Don't miss our opportunity by being too comfortable. Get back on our feet tell, to all of us who are well off and to do our part to help those who are poor. Now, blessed are the poor. Let's also keep in mind all these things this church is doing through Christ in our parts of the community and others. Things that our social justice team does. All the things our outreach team engages in. As well as what we are being called to do in the community of God. Because we can. And because, quite honestly, frequently, unfortunately, we are the ones who really need to get back on our feet. And blessed are we who get up and use our gifts in Jesus' name but do it wisely. And also I wish to add the following as well. Blessed are the people of Greenfield Presbyterian Church. For you are a community who together are trying to meet God's word as given by Luke. But what more can we do as a community of God to really be of service to those who need to get back up? Who really need to get back up? And as we are all disciples of Christ, Listen to the words as given to us in Luke 10, 23. Then he turned to his disciples and he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. All glory and honor belongs to our Heavenly Father. Amen.